I don't mind the idea of pseudonymous publishing. Um, I do wonder though, is a journal necessary in the first place? Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. James, how are you going? Fine, thank you, Daniel. How are you? Good. Now, I saw something quite quite disturbing on your Twitter feed a few days ago. Can, uh, can, can I thought ex- I deleted that post. I was, <laughs> I was drunk. No, it's, it, he it, said he was 21. It, it's still... <laughs> Uh, um, can, can you explain to me and to our non-American listeners what on earth a, a ding-dong is? What, 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 what is this? Oh, good Lord. Uh, it's, the, it's the world's most poorly named cake. Um, I have a, a, a thing that I've been doing for my own amusement, which is trying the worst of American commercial foodstuffs. Because you did the a Twinkie very last year. Worst. Yeah, very occasionally. I mean, I don't just sort of wake up wake up in the morning and go, ooh, ooh, I fancy a Pop-Tart because I really want type 2 diabetes and I hate myself. That does not happen. Every now and then I get curious and it started with a Pop-Tart, which was appalling. I mean, just the worst kind of blueberry and chemical flavored dreck you can imagine. It was borderline inedible. Um, and then someone said I needed to have a Twinkie, so I had a Twinkie, and that was a little better. But that's a little bit like saying being in a car crash is better than being hit by a rogue falling satellite. Yes, it is. They're both industrial accidents, but there's a degree of crippled that you can expect. Um, so a Twinkie was dreadful, and then someone said, no, no, it's not. Uh, within the, the family of, um, I think it's Hostess, or I don't know, mm. Nestle, or whoever the fuck they are, big food, you must try a Ding Dong. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a modern man. I'll eat a ding dong. <laughs> it is a small chocolate cake with a cream filling in it that is largely flavored, as far as I can tell, with sadness. And it's it's marginally better than some of the others, but it's still it's it's dreadful. It's the size of a thumbnail, but somehow they managed to fit 300 calories into two, like a Incredible. whole. A whole sort of egg and cheese bagel thing is about 300 calories, but they've managed to fit them into these tiny little brown embarrassment cakes. And <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like a black hole. And I'm the, I'm the weirdo for- I'm the weirdo. Thanks very much, internet. I'm the weirdo for buying two. Oh, you're supposed to get a dozen and eat them in front of the TV while crying. No, don't have a TV. Not going to happen. But uh, it's, good, it's good fun. It's cultural. Uh, it's it's cultural participation, Daniel. Yeah, probably, probably the same way What's... you feel as a white man when you go to horrible foreign countries and partake of their food. We we got a few questions about that from our last episode. What? How do you? Um, a few questions about what, Daniel? About about why about the the, the, the whole white thing. So oh well, it's they're, because they're, it's one, because, they're, it's because they're wondering whether it was. No, oh, it's because you're white now, obviously. Yeah, is, yeah. Is that, being they, declared, they, they thought thus it was a reference so. to. Um, they thought it was a reference to a past episode, but uh, no, it was something something a bit different. But what's um? That was very coy. Sort of, Look at your coy face. What was what, what? What's what's what surprised you most about um about moving to the states? 
What surprised me most about moving here? Um, the fact that I'm... I occupy a strange place within the United States where I'm white enough that navigating general situations is reasonably straightforward, but I'm foreign enough where it really sticks out. So I did not think there would be any element of kind of exoticism whatsoever, but I'm continually asked where I'm from. Yeah. Continually. I thought people would be well over it and they'd just go, that's an accent. I don't remember growing up, with, I mean, maybe because Australia is full of everyone from everywhere. I don't remember growing up and immediately meeting people and going, ooh, ooh, where are you from with that face? It just wasn't, it wasn't a thing. No, every, everyone wants to know here. It's, it's immediately important. They're not content with having you just be sort of vaguely foreign. You, you put into some odd kind of category. And a surprising amount of people remember Crocodile Dundee in a way that I don't. <laughs> but that is actually how the official metric of Australianness works, from one to Dundee. How, one to Dundee, yeah. yeah. How, how, um, how, how Dundee are your shorts? My shorts? What's the he shorts? done? Shorts. Dundee. Just, you know, that classic picture of him meeting the Queen where he's wearing his stubbies? No. He's, uh, he's See, there, this, is, this is why you're white. You remember details like this that I don't <laughs> that are obviously relevant to your cultural heritage. So for, for some for some reason, I think the Queen visited, the Queen of England visits, and who, who do they trot out? Bloody Crocodile Dundee. Oh, <laughs> how doing? Wearing his um, wear, wearing his stubbies, which which for non-Australians are shorts that are um, look, they're they're barely shorts. They're, they're, they're frankly, basically long I, underpants. I, I think she was lucky it was wearing pants at all. Frankly, yeah, it was on, it was on a Tuesday. Good old uh, man could be well, What's his real name? Paul Hogan. Hogan, that's it. He's, he's still kick, he's, he's still uh, he's still kicking around. I don't know um, how many kicks he's got left in him. Yeah, he, he looks like right now. He looks like someone took their old wallet and tumble dried it. He does have that look, doesn't he? Too, too much, too much time, and too much time in the sun. Too much time in LA. I, I saw I saw someone online. Um, Ah, oh, I totally forget her name. She's Canadian, but she, she was puzzled as to why everyone in Australia walks around walks around barefoot. They don't. Even if, well, I think she's in Armadale, yeah, up at the um, University of New England. Oh, well, that's a, yeah, that's a chill place without any stonefish, so why wouldn't you? Yeah. W- w- walk around barefoot. It's, cl- well, it's cl- Armadale. Cl- well, nothing bad happens in Armadale. I mean, nothing good happens either, but it's just, it's just <laughs> Armadale. It's just there. Armadale's fine. Armadale's nice. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, um, James, um, what, what, no. what? <laughs> the maturity. What do, do you do this? What do you do this show, James? Oh, I'm, I thought you were asking why, why do I, uh, why, why do I interrupt you so much? Why do I do well, this show? Well, I'm used to that now after buddy talking to you for what, what is it, a, de- a decade now of, of, your, of your drivel, oh, both, both, both in person and o- o- over the. It could. It is. It could be. No, I don't think it's quite a decade. Ten, ten bloody years. Ten Can't bloody believe it. Years. Um, why, why do I do this? Well, it's because I enjoy, I enjoy your company. Well, it's got to be more than that, though. Uh it is. It is definitely more than that. Because as, as much as that, that's that's just the sprinkles. Um, I, I didn't know we started doing this for shits and giggles. 
really, because we thought it would be fun. And because I've always had a hair up my ass about media products that are made by scientists for other scientists. There's an awful lot of media shit about science the outcome. Yeah, we did a study and here it is. Oh, and there's occasionally you get celebrity scientists and they've got their own whole thing going on. It's like the sewers of London by Brian Cox. Oh, look, that's a big one. Um, those media products exist, but the, the actual process of doing science, how to navigate the shittiness of a lot of it and about how should it be considered is sort of an obvious topic of conversation for us. The thing mm-hmm. I, I like that it's kind of evolved into, this is a very good question. Um, you shouldn't have asked if you didn't want a long answer. The thing that this has kind of evolved into is I think we have a very strong early career focus and a very strong open science focus. And I like the fact that we've become some kind of early career associated entity. And not because that's what we do, is because I think there's a huge hole a lot of the time where support for people in that situation could go. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I like the fact that we're talking to primarily early career researchers and that they like it and that they talk back to us. I didn't have a lot of support when I did that. And I think most of our listeners are probably sort of five to 10 years younger than me. I had some really, really shit times as a graduate student. And you remember what I was like during my PhD. That was the good bit. And I was just a incandescent pile of massively intolerant dickishness. You know, this has calmed me now. I'd like to think that if I'd had something to listen to, maybe that would have helped. I don't think there was an equivalent conversation going on. I think what we do now might have made me feel a bit more normal. It didn't really exist. Yeah, that's the that's the center of why I want to come back and keep doing it. That and you know the the raw fact of now I've gotten into a habit and um I no longer need to reach for the bin when I have to stare at you for an hour. So yeah, man, I that's mean, why. I, what do you what do I, you I do it? Insult my it's, face. It's pretty. It's, it's pretty similar. <laughs> I think when we were when we were PhD students, the closest thing that we had to this was was PhD comics, <laughs> and. Uh, that's the only thing I think of because I mean Facebook. I still like Facebook, them. Oh, it's 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 great. Facebook was around, but there wasn't really the sort of communities that you see these days on Facebook. Um, Twitter was around, um, and I, I was telling you to hop on for, <laughs> and it, it took you it took you long enough. But even then, there wasn't really much of a community because there weren't that many early career researchers hmm. on Twitter. And back then, Twitter was mainly used as a tool for broadcasting. Uh, oh, look, paper published or look at this thing. Whereas now people still do that and that's fine. But now it's actually become more of a community for people to for people to come together, people who are sharing the same sort of experiences. Um, so, the fact that people, particularly who are in departments that don't actually have- I visited um, uh, Carolyn Crew Institute and it was incredible. There was a group, there was a lab there, part of the lab- um, that was um, the, one of the students I was actually examining, and I think some of them listened. So, hello to the um, to the Hertz chapter at Karolinska, and they're all incredible because all of them were talking about open science and they chat about these things regularly, and it's great. 
Uh, I think there was about five, six, seven of them. And um, I believe they had even started their own, um, you know, weekly open science get together. Um, but the majority of people don't actually have that kind of thing. So, I think it's super important to actually have, have these discussions. And unlike a one-way broadcast, I do like this in the sense that people ask us and people send us questions. We that have conversations. Is, we, that, we, is, that is the best bit. Um, we literally have conversations. We've had such, such, such a diverse- Like, I think we've had anywhere from masters, PhD students to real, real senior types- and, uh, and it's been fantastic. And we actually got a really nice message today from, uh, from a friend of the show, Adam Pegler, who's uh, at Pegler AJ. Did um, who He sent us a message and he, he, he thanked us for keeping up his spirit, uh, us and, 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 uh, and Black Goat Podcast, for keeping up his spirits hey, during goats, his PhD. Except for Sanjay, up your Sanjay. <laughs> Just kidding. I love and you. this, I think this is actually the fourth or the fifth time that someone sent us a screenshot or sent us an acknowledgement. Um, for part of their PhD, and that feel that feels bloody good, I have to say, getting that kind of acknowledgement that uh, we help uh, we help people keep a l- at least a little bit sane during their studies. Uh, that's uh, that sort of stuff helps uh, helps uh, k- keep it going for me. It's um, it- it's really nice, and just have that opportunity to have that kind of conversation. And I think for me, it's um, Quite often, I actually get asked, "How do you have? How do you have the time to actually do this?" And the thing is, like, we were already doing this before. We were we were talking shop, um, usually over Slack, occasionally, occasionally over Skype. So it's just a matter of, hey, let's let's record our conversations and um, and let's let's get the odd guest on from 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 time to time, and um, and it's and it's been it's been an absolute uh, it's been an absolute blast, I have to say. And the fu- the funny thing is, I remember designing the the logo, thinking, "Oh yeah." Yeah, th- th- this this will last about five episodes, <laughs> and and now we're like about uh, this. This will be our 70, 70, 70 second seventy two episode seventy two. So we're rapidly rapidly approaching episode one hundred. I don't know what we're going to do yet, but it's going to be big, whatever it is. I'm I'm still angling for um, that we somehow figure out a way to do an, an episode in Reykjavik because it is the closest. It's the most equidistant big town between us. So if we can make that happen, yeah, live hurts in Reykjavik. Yeah, see, this is this is uh, that was that was what I wanted to do. Hurts live, hurts live. Like I would love to do <clears throat> no hurts door, live. no door, free beer. As in, you thought like, like anyone could come in, free beer, open microphone. Everyone's allowed to interrupt. So if you interrupt too much, I'll throw a chair at you. Just, you know, <laughs> Just no, typical, normal, normal rules, Australian rules. No. Normal rules, and that's 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 something we would love to do one day. Is uh, is a live hurts? Um, ma- maybe I can swing swing you to Boston. Maybe we can swing you to Oslo if they let you in the country. Um, Shut we can, up! I'm we allowed can- to. I'm allowed to travel ish. Really? Yeah. When they we take the electronic tag off. <laughs> <laughs> but I um this episode we we've been talking about doing doing something that we're about to but, but they're about to announce for a while but w- what we're actually going to do as of as of this episode we're going to be launching uh Patreon and uh Patreon is a way that um music yeah launch launching we are launching uh we are launching Patreon and you may have heard this before but this is a way that um firstly that you can support the show so we can continue to do really cool stuff but as well as that, you can also get extra cool stuff. Yeah, 
if you uh, if you, if you support us via our Patreon page, which will be patreon.com forward slash Hertz podcast. And basically, the way that it works is that we'll, we're going to have two supporter tiers. Uh, one tier, uh, which is called the Mad Bad Grad tier. Ugh, terrible name, more- Daniel. I can't believe you can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's horrible, it's horrible isn't it? It's, uh, it's going to be one one dollar a month, and um, if you if you support us for one dollar a month, and that comes out at the start of the month, um, then uh, you'll be getting a monthly Everything Hurts newsletter where we're going to be sharing the stuff that's interested us on the internet and uh, a few notes here and there, and also just that warm feeling that you're supporting the show. And we're also going to be having a uh, pro- Professor Fancy Pants five dollar a month support tier um, where you, you you get the newsletter. Um, you'll also be supporting the show, and uh, on top of that. Icing on the cake, you'll get access to an exclusive piece of audio that'll be released every month. This will be uh, like the stuff extra we, stuff we can't put in public. The stuff we can't put in public is it's going to be behind. Illegal. It's going to be it's uh, it's it's going to be behind behind a paywall, so we can we can you know. Oh, be, be, I thought be you didn't liberal. believe in paywalls. Yeah, well, you it's fucking um, hypocrite, Daniel. <laughs> but Look, that was a, that was a that was a terrible normative dry introduction to what we're actually going to do. Let me try. Go g- g- give it a shot. Drier than a snake's ball bag. Um, that is an interesting. That expression works for lower and drier because think of the oh no tropical snakes. I may have got off the point. Look, we need a very small amount of money to be able to cover costs and do this. We would like to do that. And there's no way I was having a, a any kind of support tier that was out of the reach of goddamn anyone at all. Nope. That's, that's bullshit. Um, so the first one is obviously extremely accessible. And then if you love us lots, there's a second one. Now, once costs are covered, which are reasonably minimal, but they, they it, it's probably something getting to the point where it needs to happen, especially if we're going to keep building stuff and I'm going to get a web presence and all sorts of other bullshit together. Now, the rest of that money is going to be hilarious. <laughs> we got because, some good plans. Because we're giving it all back. We're not going to keep a cent. <laughs> Everything is going to go back into the show. Well, I'm talking stickers. I'm talking gear. We want to send you I want to buy someone five tons of clean gravel. We'll do it. Yeah. That's that's awesome. But this is also, you know, you know what I'd like to do? There's people in, there's people in uh, all over the world bleeding from both eyes doing science. I want to have the, figure out a scheme so I can just buy beer for anyone in the world. <laughs> Some people really need a beer. Not we'll want one. They don't want one. They need one. And you should be wanting to support them just as much as I do. Yeah, pesky <laughs> little tinkers. That's what we should be. Uh, that's what we should be doing. I yeah. Look, we obviously if we're doing this, if we're doing this to make money, then obviously we wouldn't have chosen a niche podcast full of. What is this full of? It's, it's well, yeah. I don't know. Self. Self-appointed data cadets, data police. <laughs> oh, that that was an interesting tweet. Let, let, let's let's get That's back funny. around to that. Yeah. But anyway, Patreon. 
that is uh we you we quite often get questions on how people can support us i mean one way you can support uh, us is yeah, by quite a lot posting actually. is by posting stuff sharing the show on social media sharing links to the episodes to your favorite episodes telling your friends um even just just word of mouth um but um social is much better leaving reviews but then now you actually have the opportunity to um to to help to help help us out with um with financial support and by doing that you can make the show much cooler and everything we want to give back into the community so number one it's going to be covering costs because podcast hosting isn't free um we um we also want to do some cool stuff um like um, getting a dedicated website and that also costs money um but then secondly as soon as all those things are covered uh, everything's going to be going back into into the show we've back to, to have, you we've the- got to have trophies Trophy, of course. Uh, badges. We have to have full hertzy, full hertzy badges. We've, we've we've sent them electronically, but it'll be nice to actually have no, physical badges. Send them, send them electronically. That's not a badge. A badge it's, is made of a thing, Daniel. That isn't pixels. It's made yeah, of I something know. that's and, appropriate to make a badge out of, her- like thorns or thermoplastic or four-year-olds. Uh, I want people to go to their pigeonholes in their department, open up a little box, and find a hertz badge, and they're going to take a photo. And it's going to be amazing. Yes. It's going to be very, very good. So, yes. And then check you get out. five tons it, of clean gravel. You can get that too. So <laughs> check it out. Patreon.com forward slash Hertz podcast. We'll also put the link to the website and um, and become part of the Hertz family. Become part of Hertz nation and, uh, and support the show. But uh, before we get in, in, onto our next section, we are going to take a very quick break. Welcome back to Everything Hurts. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about anonymity. And uh, I what? came across- the Anonymity. Uh, I can't say that word. Anonymity. What? No, anonymity. Anon. Anonymity. Oh, this is going to kill me. Do you have the dyslexias? <laughs> I think, you know what? With some words, I do. With some words, I'm really bad at pronouncing. I had no idea. Yeah. Anonymity. Anonymity. There we go. Oh, there you go. No, you don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe we're I don't. St- we're, we're still going to talk about it, even if you can't say it. What's interesting about anonymity, that's, that's Daniel? Gonna, it's going to be very interesting. Well, there was um there was a tweet that came out a few days ago. Um, well, actually, a news story which was um which was talking about the uh, this new journal which is going to be launched early next year, which is going to be called the Journal of Controversial Ideas. And um, um, I'm, I'm going to quote something that um, one of the um, organisers of the journal, uh, Jeff, Jeff McMahon, has said that it would enable people whose ideas might get them in trouble, either with the left or with the right or with their own university administration, to publish under a pseudonym. Now, I haven't heard of this bloke, but one of the other people that was uh, that was part of it is, uh, is Peter Singer. Um, he, he said a few sensible things from time to time. Uh, he is an Australian philosopher who also wrote um, Animal Liberation in the 70s and Practical Ethics and, and a, whole, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I think there's going to be a, a whole bunch of people who are both going to be on the on the left and on the right um, spectrum of, of, of politics. And this is one of those stories that when I first read this, I'm like, that's a dumb idea. And then I'm like, well, hang on a minute, maybe not. And uh, I, I honestly- don't know what I, I think about it, to be honest. So, I thought this would be um, a good opportunity to, to, to talk about it. So, when you first saw this, James, what, what, what did you think? Uh, the first thing I thought was something along the lines of, oh, Christ, this again. 
there was a long conversation, oh shit, five years back or so about pseudonymous and anonymous uh, commentary and how it was bad. There's a big fluff with the neuroskeptic fella at some point. Um, there was a, a whole bunch of rocks thrown when Pub Pier was opened. Mm. And I I didn't I, I just didn't want to kind of mentally relitigate it on the I mean, those are sort of historical arguments now, I suppose, something like that. The arguments that occurred around them. But what's what's interesting about this I, I think a lot of scientists saw this and went ah oh, that's going to be that's going to be about us maybe i can have a controversial idea in public etc etc oh won't 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 that be fun um and then i thought no oh, have a look at the editorial board um peter singer obviously you've just mentioned um Jeff McMahon, it's Mahan, which is the Ma- even more Irish version, but I think he's a, he's American, he's a Rutgers or somewhere. Um, I think these people are ethicists. I don't know what the remit of the journal is. So the Journal of Controversial Ideas within what? That's a question mm. I haven't been able to answer. Maybe because I haven't read about it at all past that initial assessment. But the Journal of Controversial Ideas within what? Right? Is it going to be a series of? Uh, is it is it basically going to be? Look, I'll, I'll put this. I'll put this in context. When people write papers on ethics, uh, a lot of the time they can shit other people to tears. Like that one, which was about the remember the one a few years ago about the morality of killing babies. I mean, there's an enormous fuss about that in Australia. Mm. It wasn't like a Jonathan Swift thing where they were going going out to eat the Irish. Yeah, it was trying to draw moral comparisons and make a kind of a argument ad absurdum flavored. Uh, you, you know what I mean? It wasn't supposed to yeah. be. It was, it's not a fucking public policy journal. It's an ethics journal. It's supposed to be exploring controversial and dangerous ideas. I have a whole festival for that in Sydney, right? The Journal of Dangerous Ideas or the Journal of Pious and F- Media festival Hacks or whatever the, whatever the fuck yeah. it is, right? So, the majority of that is within the academic remit of ethics. So, does it include the Journal of Controversial Scientific Ideas? My initial impression is no. Have you read enough about it to know what the journal specifically interested in? There isn't that much information online uh, beyond beyond the story, but I would imagine, of course, there is a lot of crossover between these broader ethical ideas, um, but also more. I mean, you, you, there's, there's not going to be any niche scientific arguments. There's not going to be stuff about physiology. And what have you? So I, I, th- I think it's well, going to be more. Well, you can have you can have hideously controversial ideas about that, but I don't know if they are. Is anyone is anyone going to give a shit? I mean, yeah. how much how much controversy are they trying to? How much controversy are they trying to garner? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, obviously, given the editorial board and that the both uh, both Jeff and, and Peter Singer are ethicists, then you would there think are f- there are two other people, but I can't remember who they are. They're the only two I'd heard of. But you know, th- this whole thing about controversial ideas, um, I've been thinking about for, for for quite a while. Um, I remember about a about a year or two ago, 
Um, I'm not sure. I know I've spoken about this to you, and I, but I don't know if I've actually spoken about it on the podcast. But basically, there was a story that came out in Norway a few years ago where um, people were thinking or there was this idea that uh, a flu vaccine from a few years ago had actually increased uh, 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 diagnoses of narcolepsy. Yeah. Huh? Um, yeah. So, it was, a, it was a flu vaccine. Well, they're still trying to figure out the mechanism. Um, some of our- Is there uh, collaborate- one? Well, I don't know that they're figuring it out, but some of our, some of our collaborators um, are actually doing this and, and doing a lot of brain imaging in the people who have actually developed narcolepsy as a result. And basically, a lot of, you know, a lot of doctors in Norway are now saying that, yeah, like there is a, there is enough of an increase of, of these cases to actually attribute it to the vaccine. And it, even more sort of skeptical doctors will say, you know what, given the data, maybe, maybe there's an in- that, that there's a slight increase. So- you know, d- depending on where you are on the spectrum, most people agree to some, to, at least to some degree, that this actually did increase cases of narcolepsy. Narcolepsy is relatively rare in the population, but there was enough of a spike and enough an, enough of an association between people who actually got given, and because the medical records here in Norway are fantastic, you can go and say, yes, I've got narcolepsy, and they can actually track back and look at exactly the batch of, of vaccine you got. And they've been doing all these case control studies looking at people who developed narcolepsy and didn't do the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it, it's not a slam dunk. Not everyone who got this vaccine developed narcolepsy, but it was enough you that- You think you um, would have noticed that? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very, like, I mean, the, the odds ratio was slightly increased, but appreciably enough. So, basically, when I was hearing this stuff, my, my first reaction was like, guys, what are you doing? You know, we have enough trouble as it is encouraging people to, to to take vaccines. And here you come along talking about your research and your evidence, telling people that, hey, there's a vaccine a few years ago that caused narcolepsy. Like, I have people that I know here who know that I'm a scientist and they talk to me, oh, these vaccines, well, you know about the narcolepsy thing and I've got nothing. And a part of me wanted to say, well, guys, you can't talk about this because you don't want to discourage people taking vaccines. But at the same time, it's the data. Yeah, and you don't want to actually discourage people from publishing this just because it goes against our broader idea that people should be vaccinated, even though it really, really hurts the case. Yeah, because people are going to go, well, if, the, if there's a bad batch for these flu vaccines, then w- what's going to happen for these other vaccines? So, they, they, these are real conversations that I'm having with people here in, here in Norway. So, that's an example of this idea that I'm like, well, no- w- w- on, on the one hand, yeah, don't don't publish it. This is bad. But like, no, of, of course we should publish it because it's the data, and um, we have to understand exactly why. And that and that that's why these researchers are actually looking. Is there a is there a paper on this? Uh, I can find one, but um, there are. So this yeah. has been written about in a scientific context. There are this has been written about papers. in a context. This is okay. This is le- this is yeah. I think. We probably need to read the papers, and it sounds to me like, look, I mean, that could be anything. Say, say there's an increase in narcolepsy, but they chose narcolepsy out of forty other conditions, and the odds ratio has gone up to one point oh eight, with a confidence interval just scraping the ball bag of significance. Right? Is it that? Mm. Is it no, that? No, it's 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 a, it's a it's a bit more than that. It's enough. T- yeah, you see, you're saying there, there is, it's a bit more than that. How much? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the so exact. So you've been odds having ratio. these conversations and you haven't actually gone and found out how it worked. Well, I don't know the exact. Well, they, they, don't, they don't know how it worked. I don't know the exact odds ratio, but 
there is a clear difference between statistical significance and clinical significance. And this is the sort of thing, there's been enough of an increase that um, that it is a clinically, a clinically um, significant increase in the uh, in the incidence of, of narcolepsy. So, I mean, ballpark, let's say narcolepsy affects one in a thousand people, then it's gone up to, if you actually had the vaccine, then it's like, 10, 10 out of a thousand, for instance. So it's 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 a little bit of a jump, but not like a slam dunk that you're going to get narcolepsy if you if you had this vaccine. Plenty of people who got this vaccine a number of years ago did not develop narcolepsy. But what they're trying to figure out with this research is why did these particular people happen to develop narcolepsy as a result of this thing? So look, we're getting into the weeds here a bit, and we will link to the actual paper. But this is more of an example of. The sort of research that, on the one hand, you don't want to get out there, but of course you 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 want to you, you want to get it out there. Mm. Well, I just found a paper on it as you were saying that you didn't know the actual details. I actually looked the details up. That's good. Fifty-eight. <laughs> wait and see. Fifty-eight vaccinated children and adolescents were diagnosed as new cases of confirmed narcolepsy. Forty-two had onset symptoms within six months. 12 symptoms within six weeks. During the same period, 10 unvaccinated cases were reported. Mean age, similar. The data collected during three years following vaccination showed a significantly increase of narco- for narcolepsy with cataplexy. That's yeah, cataplexy. Cataplexy. The cata- sure cataplexy is actually, it's when you lose muscle, muscle tone when you experience uh, extreme emotion. Whoa. So, yeah, yeah, uh, interesting, isn't it? So, basically, what happens is if you laugh or if you experience extreme emotion, that this is a super interesting mechanism. Like a fainting goat. Yes, you you lose full muscle tone. And so, people, it's, it's actually very debilitating psychologically because what happens is people actually don't want to get themselves into situations where they're going to laugh because they know kids, little kids think it's the funniest thing ever. I've seen videos of little kids kind of having a laugh, but as soon as you sort of get a little bit older, it becomes really debilitating because you don't want to go into situations where you're going to be feeling extreme emotion. As soon as you start laughing, muscle you, you lose complete muscle tone. And that's why these researchers are looking into it going, hang on a minute, if we can actually understand the mechanism, what is unique about people with narcolepsy with cataplexy versus people without it? And they're actually been trying to induce laughter in the scanner yeah, to, to give people like there's very few opportunities within within neuroscience where you, you can actually reliably induce a thing and study it in the scanner. These How people- How do you reliably are, make a Norwegian laugh? What do you show them a picture of a Swede? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's very rel- culturally rel- relevant because that, that, that's I a very- I haven't met uh, people before, Daniel. <laughs> no, they, they found they, they have special videos depending on the age and- um, <laughs> Because they, they, they have little kids. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what, what, what the kids are into these days. Uh, or older people, they'll, they'll show them videos that they know can reliably make people laugh. And they can see what happens functionally in the brain during one of these cataplexy episodes. Incredibly, incredibly interesting stuff. Okay. So, it looks like the prevalence is around one in 100,000. Okay. And- I was way off, but- the the results show a marked clustering of new cases in the first six months after pandemics, which is a very awkward word, 
the minimum incidence of 10 of 100,000, an approximate tenfold increase compared to unvaccinated children. Yeah. So it's gone from being an incredibly minor risk to a far more substantial minor risk. 10 in 100,000 versus 1 in 100,000. Okay, well, that's still rare, but it seems like it's a lot less rare. Hmm, okay. Yeah. I wonder how this will play out. I wonder if they still use it. Anyway, they know. How, how, how is this a controversial idea, Daniel? Well, it's not controversial, but it it just- When I first heard it, I thought, oh, this is actually- this is actually really bad because it plays against the whole vaccine thing. Look, that's just that's just one example of the of, of the sort of thing that make, yeah. makes you think twice about. We we are. I mean, yeah. I was saying, do you need to be careful with your messaging? Do you need to be ca- careful how it's how it's shown, what it's associated with, what it does? You know, it's it, mm-hmm. it's something where when you put it into the public eye, you can expect some kind of reaction. Um, it does sound like, I mean, at the end of the day, when you look at the actual numbers in a paper, it does sound like it's something like 40 children, right? So, I think it's more than that. What said they had 58 vaccinated children and adolescents. About half of the population is vaccinated and about half wasn't with that particular uh, H1N1 vaccination, right? Hmm. So, okay, 10 unvaccinated cases reported, 58 vaccinated cases reported. Okay, it's slightly more than that. So, we can assume something like, so, 48 extra yeah. cases. And the, Okay, the I mean, that sounds a lot less scary than, I mean, this is a absolute versus relative incidence thing, again, as is always the case in medicine. But that's- um. Look, it's concerning. That's interesting. Because um, also, they're both over the same time periods. Yeah? Mm. It's not one thing versus another thing. It's not like television's got more boring, so suddenly it's giving everyone a neurological <laughs> illness or a bad case of herring. It's It seems like it's reasonably well controlled. It's very difficult for me to tell live how good the study is. So when someone goes, oh, that was blowing up, and when they hear this in a week, um, rest assured that you've read it more carefully than I have and you can <laughs> stick your opinion up your ass. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, if there's a problem with this, we very, want to know. Yeah, I've spoke to some very, very smart doctors here and they're all like, yeah, you know what? It's it's either something to be really concerned about or something to be a little bit concerned about, but it's 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 a real thing. But I want to get back to this idea of this um, the one one argument that I saw against this publishing these controversial ideas is that mm-hmm. only privileged academics can actually afford to do this because they're the only ones that can actually afford to not to throw away a publication that they can actually put 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 to their name. Mm-hmm. I thought this was an odd. Uh- Argument because I mean, okay, go on, go on, go on, go on. Let, okay, let, let, let's look at your situation. What are you paid to do, James? Uh, what I, research? Well, uh, methodology, physiological, psychological, uh, yeah. wearable tech methods. But that's but that's not all. That that's not all what you publish. Of course not. Yeah, and in, in on, on paper you're not paid to do the other stuff. So you're sort of doing this extra work, yeah? And I think a lot of academics do this as well. Well, maybe not well, a lot, but- Well, 
Uh, yeah, some. I think a lot some. of work, a lot work far too hard on the the stuff that they're supposed to be doing in the meantime, and just putting in extra hours on the same crap that they're doing at work, which is a horrifying labor market. But our our <laughs> complaints about that are well established at this point. Let's not go down that road. Um. Well, see, here's here's where that argument might break down. Something is controversial initially. An idea comes out. It is broadly received as something that's problematic. There's an enormous amount of hue and cry. And at some point in time, that inevitably fades to some degree. Now, depending on how much it fades will determine whether or not in the future you can go forward and claim your article. In many ways, it's kind of an analog of blind review. What if I was the one published that thing about killing babies before, right? This Mm. is a serious paper in bioethics. Again, not a public policy prescription. Feel free not to clutch your children extra tightly because you hear my voice. So, if I'd published that under a pseudonym, and there was an enormous amount of fuss and people, ah, who is this guy? We're going to go around to his house and teach him to value life by hitting him with a rake. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, you can't see the floor in that argument, but never mind. It's like the idea of this is the whole thing, you know, people, healthcare professionals getting death threats because they don't respect life. I always thought there was a cooked in irony there that, that some people are just incapable of perceiving. Gives you an idea of how smart they are. Um the thing is, when all that dies out, can I claim my paper? Can I just put a line in my CV that says, published as Dickhead McTavish? You can, you can, of course, you can. You I mean, think of, think of how many people in literature have published things under pseudonyms. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's, there's a long listery. Long literary history of things being published on history and listery. <laughs> Look, I, I got a um, I got an, uh, an abstract. Um, I got something to review, a request to review, and I was reading the abstract, and I didn't even have to reach the end of the abstract. And I'm like, I know, I think I think I got a pretty good idea who these authors are, and I get to the author list, and bingo. And I think that's the case with a lot of research in that you can actually just read the abstract or read the paper. And even if you didn't know, I mean, this is a whole different argument about double blind reviewing, is that even if you don't know who the authors are, you can get a pretty good, pretty good idea of, of who the authors are, so, mm. so, so to speak. And so I think- if you're publishing in bioethics, that's a very small pool of people. So yep. publishing something reasonably controversial in cardiology. You, you might have a little bit more difficulty going, oh, oh, my God, who is it making the argument that X, Y, Z? So you can, you can go out and beat the fences. You might not be able to find them. I mean, how many bioethicists are interested in an individual-specific topic? I don't know. But it, look, it there's, be, it, there, is, there is a center to that argument that's pretty well-founded. You don't get to claim it immediately. And, oh, yeah, then, 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 you know, maybe you wait two years and you get to say, yeah, that was me. What if you need it in the meantime? What if you're some marginalized motherfucker, like like living in your car somewhere, and you're trying to get the fuck promoted, so you don't have to live in your car? You're like, oh, wait two years before you can claim your publication. How long Can't does it do take it. you to get it in the first place? Well, maybe that's unfair of me. Um, I I I don't mind the idea of pseudonymous publishing. Um, I do wonder though. 
Is a journal necessary in the first place? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Why not? I mean, it just gives you that. Okay, fucking internet. It's going to be peer reviewed. I mean, yeah, these things. These, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be peer reviewed. But you can, if you trust the people you're sending it to, you can organize your own goddamn peer review. You can stick it in the public domain. Do you need to have a journal that? is entirely reliant on submissions from people who don't want to be identified. If you don't want to be identified, go out into the internet and be happily unidentified. There's there's preprint servers that'll take papers on um, controversial guess, ideas. I guess so the difference is at least here you'll have some sort of platform. Yeah. So just ima- imagine you're, you, you, you want to put out, you, you don't regularly blog under a pseudonym. You want to put an idea out there. It's probably not going to be, most blog posts don't get read anyway. But if you're putting something out randomly under a pseudonym, uh, it's less likely to be read unless you're actually submitting it to this journal. So, that, that, that's one argument. I okay, totally get so this thing. so like the signal boosting argument. Okay, I can cop that. Yeah. So, that, that, that that's one potential thing. And, you know, I, I, I thought a lot. At first, I used to think that um, pub, uh, blogging under a pseudonym, I don't know. I didn't agree with it. But then I thought, well, you know, people Why? have their reasons. Um, there, there, there's plenty of people that, that we follow. I mean, neuroskeptic. Is, comes to mind. Um, there's also Psych Brief as well, and uh, and they they have their reasons. And uh, I remember Psych Brief actually had um, we'll we'll link to their um to their Twitter account, but they had a poll going. Do you think I should actually continue being a pseudonym, particularly being an early career researcher? And part of me was like, well, you, you're missing out on a lot of credit, yeah, because they're saying a lot of sensible things, doing you a lot of sensible such blogs. Such a fucking show, Pony Daniel. No, it wouldn't no, even no, happen no. if no one's paying attention to me in particular. We can't help but pay attention to you. The sunlight reflects off your forehead. <laughs> it's <laughs> no, it's not about that. But I see it as potential missed, missed opportunities when it comes to collaborations um, and all those kind of things. But then at the same time, well, no, maybe that's not what they're after. And um, if they want to continue doing that, that that's fine. Um, maybe but if then, they've yeah. got contact details, you can write to them anyway. And there's some kind of initial oh, hesitation about. Oh, I suppose there's ways of getting in contact with people. Surely. Yeah, Neuroskeptics has got a their, uh, email address. Is, is is there for anyone to to email and to and to contact? Um, yeah. So you know, I think I think there is. But it, what I think about this is, I think there's a place. I'm totally cool with um, bloggers blogging with a pseudonym so why not extend that to the journal article but my fear is that people are just going to abuse this yeah and just totally go to town on people but at the same time like people yeah and and people do this as well on twitter and 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 with blogging but at the same time like i I think people who do this regularly just just lose lose respect to their audience if they're taking on people yeah but behind these um, anonymously and just slagging off people, then they, they quickly respect. And so, I, I think- I don't know. I'm not sure if, 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 if people are actually going to see yeah, through not, that if it's a journal. They're not going to be sock puppet. I don't know how this is going to be abused by people publishing in a journal. I mean, it's going to be actually reviewed in- It's going to be actually reviewed in context. But here's the, the, the thing. A journal is what you make it. A journal is its kind of intellectual heritage and the people who staff it and the people who make the decisions, Right. Now, I don't know whether or not I have the slightest interest in what they're going to put into this journal. Right now, there's a big hole where all the details should be. Yeah? Mm. So, yeah, it's it's an idea that's it's sort of not got past the potentially interesting idea stage for me here. Right? So, the first four papers come out and they're just sort of 
loose dreck, you know? Say it's rehashed, unnecessarily edgy or controversy ideas, controversial ideas, and it's not a, you know, maybe there's some bioethics stuff, maybe there's some other stuff, but in general it's just sort of, ah, look at, look at me. I'm very interesting and edgy, and I'm basically a man between the age of 18 and 25 from the internet eating Cheetos <laughs> out of my gut folds. Well, this is the academic equivalent. Maybe it's, first- maybe it's going to be excellent and well-argued. You don't know what a journal is going to be until it actually becomes itself, right? It, so it's got a name now. It doesn't really have an identity. Yeah. You know Look, every we'll- journal that you've read and published in, you know, every single one of those motherfuckers in terms of the stuff that's been in them, right? You define it entirely by a look and feel of the content of everything that you've read. The name is somewhat immaterial. Here you've got a clue they're going to do something that no one else has done before. How well are they going to do it? you got Buckley's, man. You don't know. You don't know yet. It sure is going to be interesting to find out. I mean, because when's the last time someone proposing a new journal, which happens all the fucking time, by the way, when's the last time that went totally off the top and there were articles in the Cron and the fucking higher ed things and IHE and on the BBC and all the rest of it. I saw all the, I didn't read all the articles in any great detail, but holy shit, everyone's commenting, everyone's got an opinion. You just launched a new journal. It doesn't have any fucking articles in it yet and you're already going. Never happens. Yeah. So there is this sort of, there's an awful lot of discussion around, like, is it is it safe to say these particular ideas? Will I get dragged on Twitter if I'm a supporter of XYZ? Um, there's a, some truth to it. An awful lot of that is just, well, an awful lot of the concern about that is very pearl clutchy to me. Oh, everyone was rude to me on the internet. It's, it's, it's you know, so I need a, I need a, a, a place where, I need a place where my controversial ideas can live. I don't know. Do you just blog? Do I mean, just blog. I, I, there's obviously a space. I'm thinking about this from a sort of a, a bioethical perspective. I mean, if you write an article that but, is, but isn't that isn't I that? Know their I, jam? I know I keep coming. I know I keep coming back to killing babies, but it's just that kind of day. Um, if you write that, how could you possibly be divorced from the consequences of writing that? What do you think people were going to think? Are you so up the ivory tower on top of the ivory tower that you think you can publish something like that without an enormous writer about how it should be read? (laughs) This isn't art, yeah? Artists get to go, oh, I'm not explaining that. I'm leaving it open to interpretation and people can find it controversial or otherwise. Yeah? No. It's not supposed to be fucking art. It's supposed to be a formal professional communication. If people are out there going, oh, my God secular monsters want to kill babies it's a literal proposal for literally killing babies if you're not out there in front of an idea like that that's pretty fucking negligent yeah that was always Look, gonna happen it was gonna ha- you know what you're getting into so um, you, you, I, you, I think that's part of the course to explain you should you be forced to explain yourself properly rather than just having looser ideas behind the veil of someone being able to find out where you live and mail you two tons of dog shit I don't Look, know, man. Be- Look, we're going to go round and round on this until something yeah. actually comes what? out and becomes the center of what this idea will eventually represent. You feel me? Well, it, it is going to be launched early next year, so we can circle 
back to the journal. But before we finish up, I just want to highlight Ooh, another new journal, which is long, coming up. Oh, another there's another journal. one. What's the other one? Yeah, it's it's called uh, Neurons Behavior Data Analysis and Theory, which is a new uh, overlay journal. Um, very similar to the MetaSide journal in that um, there's no cost to read and there's no cost to submit. And um, it's an overlay journal via, I think I think it's via um, uh, BioArchive. And um, it's exciting because it's the first one, to my knowledge, within kind of more the more sort of broader neuroscience area. And this is um, this is really cool because we all know uh, they've got their LaTeX or Word template. So, you submit there. Authors are doing mm-hmm. all the work. Um, and uh, basically, the only costs are the the server costs, really, because it's um, because it's an overlay journal, and this is exciting. Man, I and love I think- overlay journals. You're just formalizing the work that you're doing and sticking it on the fact that the document exists, and you can make it as goddamn fancy as you want. It's excellent, and you I, th- I think I mean? it's good. And you don't even just do I- your own hosting. It's, I I fucking love the idea of overlay journals. Um, I missed this one because it's been a it's been an interesting couple of days. But uh, what neuron yeah. neuron behavior? What Neurons else? behavior data analysis and theory. So they are nbdt underscore journal on Twitter. And um, okay, I yeah, really looks- hope I really hope that does well. I really hope they get good submissions and it's got they a, it's got a lot of interest and everything structured. I've look. I am seriously. I am in the bleachers on that one, with the little ratchety fucking whatever that is making tons of noise with the team scarf cheering for that to work as well as possible. Let's see how they go. They've, they've actually reached out. They've actually reached out to chat to us as well about the journal. Who? So maybe we can the people from the editorial board. Oh, who's that? Are we going to talk to someone? Him? I want to talk to him. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let, let, let's hook it up. But they've said, yeah, let, let, let's chat. I, I, I gave them a shout out on Twitter um, today or yesterday or a few days ago. Um, and um, they said, hey, if, if, uh, if you and James want to chat about the journal. Do we know these talks. people? Uh, yeah, I know one of uh, the social media editor is uh, Dan Marinazzo, who I know over Twitter. Um, and I know one of the one of the co-editors is Anne Churchland as well, based at uh, somewhere that I forget. Um, but anyway, they've um, they said that um, yeah, we've got a tweet going. We're happy to go through the concept and scope in Hertz podcast um, if uh, if we want to. Yeah, well, I, so uh, it's such but, a. I mean, talk about you. You're taking all the efficiencies of running a small organization all the efficiencies of not having to pay a whole lot of the bills to keep everything together and mm. the fact that it's a you know at the end of the day peer review is a, a small human interaction between a small number of people you're taking every advantage and lining them up to make something free accessible and still rewarded within the confines we've invented for ourselves of how things need to be badged as approved by a certain committee xyz Let's hook it up. Let's make it happen. Uh, yeah. I want to know more about that one. We don't often Check. set what's going to be the next episode while we're No, we recording. don't. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be the fun. next episode, but it, it, it might, might be. be something. Because you're going could be. away to, to going on a holiday to Hawaii or something to fuck a volcano. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish you wouldn't. We'll, we'll- Who am I going to swear at? I can't swear at anyone here. Well, it's Skype- illegal in America to be rude to people. They brought in a law. Skype, Skype goes through the uh, the Chinese firewall. Oh, yeah, so that's you right. You're going to China. Yeah. yeah. The only thing left to say about controversy and pseudonymity, I'm assuming that's a word. 
Um, look, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what the scope is um, early next year. But um, let's um, revisit it when when it, when the oh, yeah. kernel comes out. What I found yourself? a reference. Oh, I found a reference here that says it's going to be multidisciplinary. It's wow. going to be Broad. multidisciplinary, but it's run by. Uh, what I assume are just sort of people working in bioethics, right? I don't know how multidisciplinary that's going to be. I mean, it feels well, like your burden of review is increased, right? If you're going to run something that's going to be deliberately controversial, you know people are going to be throwing throwing rocks and uh, hefting, hefting sticks. The first few articles are going to be absolute bomb throwers if that's the- um. If they haven't carefully chosen them by now, I'd be extremely surprised. If they're going to be launching early next year- Forever to do anything in philosophy. I'm sure sure stuff is already in the works if it's going to be launched early next year. But that is all the time that we have for today. Um, Remember to check out our Patreon page and and support us. And for our first people that- um, that um, join us um, on Patreon. We'll we'll send you we'll send you personalised messages because that's that's how much we uh, we we appreciate you guys. James James is gonna turn up to your door, <laughs> oh. knock on your window while you're sleeping, going hello. He oh, is that what is that what I'll say? Oh, it's a good yeah. thing I lack imagination. I could be a lot more scary <laughs> if I said something actually interesting. Fucking. Totally bereft of linguistic talent, aren't you? <laughs> Never mind. Never that is mind. All for I, today. Still, I still love you, Daniel, even though you're white. That is all for today. We have to go away now. Give us money on the Patreon because we need it. And then if we don't we- need it, we'll give it back. Sign up on the Twitters, which is uh, Hertz, Hertz Podcast. Twitter.com slash Hertz Podcast if you probably found us there already. So that's totally pointless. Find us on the Facebook by searching the thing. Find us on the internet by searching Dan and then underscore underpants. Um, that'll go straight to what he calls his uh, happy time webpage. <laughs> Um, great way to make friends Daniel fully support it totally legal in your country but uh, I always wonder what the donkey thinks that is all from us it's been an absolute pleasure being your content provider now that's how you do a fucking outro bye